these, it's been such an amazing adventure from what, 30 years ago now? Mm-hmm that God has taken us on, but we are so glad to be back and share with you guys some of that. So, backstory, who are we and uh, where do we come from? Some of you guys might have one of these, right? Who, who's, who's got, he got a hero <laughs> shot? <laughs> or is about to get one, right? And, uh, but who are those crazy young people? <laughs> she I can recognize, but I don't know who the guy is in that picture. <laughs> And then from here, we went on to uh, MH53s and spent some time in England with our three little girls. Um, and then the Lord felt like, he says, it's time to come work with me. And um, so we followed the call and uh, ended up with Mission Aviation Fellowship. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I just want to, we were talking about how we've known uh, Joe and Kathy for years. And, and frankly, we met them when we moved them down here. So. So I feel like, I feel like you, it's our fault. Huh? We stomped on the roof. Did the roof stop? That's right. Welcome in. <laughs> yes. Well, we want to make you feel welcome. <laughs> um, but uh, when we got married, as John said, Del Rio was our first home, and I think a lot of and I have to say that the twelve years that I was an Air Force spouse have prepared me in many ways for the rest of, my, of, our, of our 20 years with uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship. Um, because I think that I can tell you, I'm telling you in many, for many of you, something that you already know, some of the things that you learn when you're in the Air Force, how to, how to make your a home wherever you are, how to bloom where you're planted. And these are things, I, frankly, I learned first in Del Rio, Texas, and I, I just have, we just have a lot of affection for this community because of that. Even though we do have practically a new congregation every time we come back. <laughs> and that's got to be hard on those who stay. Um, but recently, in a room full of overseas workers and missionaries, the speaker was talking to them while they were standing. And he said to them, you know, think back 10 years to the hopes and dreams that you had. And what, and just think about that for a minute. Now, I want you to sit down if you're doing what you thought you would be doing 10 years ago. Two people sat down. And that really resonated with me because we have certainly ended up doing things we didn't expect to be doing. And that's where this verse comes in. Whatever you do, and I just want to say that in again, whatever you do. <laughs> Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. That has been something that has huh, really meant a lot to us over the years. Now, that doesn't mean that God hasn't given us gifts. Uh, for John, it's aviation, it's technology from a very young age. Those have been his strengths that God has used in a number of ways. And for me, it's been teaching and encouragement. And together, we feel like one of the things that God's given us is the gift to bring people together and to offer hospitality. And we see those threads woven through, through our lives. Um, but either, even if we're doing our favorite job or our least favorite job, we keep reminding ourselves, okay, we're doing this not for us, we're doing it for the Lord's glory. So a little bit about our time, um, the first few years in uh, MAF, or Mission Aviation Fellowship. And I'm gonna stop here because I forgot it at the beginning. I know that you guys also support Brock and Lisa Larson, 
who are good friends of ours, and they send their greetings to you guys. We have very different, we work in different parts of the world, but they are great folks, and thank you for supporting them. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about our time in MF, uh, our early days. After we raised our ministry support, we went to language school in Quebec, which was cold, and, uh, and, and really a lot of fun. It was a good time. And then we took our three little girls to Kinshasa, which is the capital city of Congo, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. That's our first prayer card. We call it our rookie card. So, um, and saying those words, the, what I just said about raising ministry support, going to language school, and going to uh, Kinshasa, all in one sentence, makes it sound simple and straightforward, and, <laughs> and it, it really wasn't. During those years, I think one of the verses that really meant a lot to us is one that's been John's favorite verse for years, and here it is, trust in the Lord. And I feel like that's a verse that keeps coming back to us um, when I'm looking for a secret of what, what should I be doing. Trust is something I keep hearing. Well, um, when we joined MAF, one of the things that we really felt we could embrace was the vision of MAF. We, uh, our vision is to see isolated people changed by the love of Christ. And then our mission is serving together. And when I say together, that includes you. That includes all of us at the home office and then everyone on the field. We're serving together to bring help, hope, and healing to the isolated through aviation. And technology. And technology, yes. Um, so we brought up our girls in the Congo. And Africa and Congo have a very special place in their hearts. That little girl that Joe was holding is now 27, which is crazy. Um, but that happens. Um, and they still tend to make friends from around the world. That's kind of their heritage from their time overseas. While we lived in the Congo, John was known as the flying computer doctor. And he was welcomer, and he used to repair generators at various villages and so forth. And I did a lot of, a very, a big variety of things. Let's see, keep going, honey. What do we got? There's our girls. And... Uh, so while John was flying, I was doing bookkeeping for the MAF program, which I had no preparation for, but I learned a lot. And then I taught English in the community, and I also taught English, at, English and history at the international school. And after our time in, in the Congo, we were called to serve at the headquarters, uh, the MAF headquarters here. So once we moved back here, for several years, I was a coach to those who were about to go overseas coaching them on how to raise ministry support and helping them with all the details of an overseas move. Uh, and a couple years ago, I started leading that team. And uh, I, I see the same threads. I see teaching, I see encouraging, and bringing people together. And I'm just thankful for the way that God's been able to use us in a lot of different situations. So I still consider myself sort of as the anchor of the family. There's my team, and there's, there we are with a bunch of what we call pre-fielders who are about to go out, raise support, go to language school. It's a process. Um, I'm one of the happiest days of this month was seeing one of our people landing in their place of service, ready to serve. And I mean, that happens on a monthly basis usually, but it's just, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing like it. It's a, a real accomplishment. So I, my life involves a lot of goodbyes and video calls. <laughs> Uh, with far-flung fa family members and others, that's, 
This is the way I see John a lot. <laughs> Just thought I'd let you know. So John's gone a lot, and I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about that. Oh, well, when I am home, we get to do some family time. For Christmas, Rachel was all home, all the girls were here, and of course we do like to do Christmas caroling. And so that's one of those fun things we get to do as a family. But um, my current role is in disaster response, and bad things happen all over the world. And it <laughs> seems to be getting more and more often. <laughs> but MAF believes that we have some tools you know, the, the airplane and technology and some of those assets of human resources that are trained in this, that we can respond. We can provide rapid response in a place that is isolated, that people or needs are, are hurting. So our mission statement kind of focuses where we go because there's lots of disasters and, you know, lots of people respond differently. But our, our goal is like, okay, where is isolation? And where's the uniqueness of our flavor of aviation and that kind of technology best suited to work? And so um, we've responded to all these different, you know, 46 different responses in the last few years. So we do respond. This is our whole team here. Uh, we have a, another pilot, an IT like myself. Then we have managers. We have finance ladies, free people. We have people that work security. So we have a whole group of us that's our core team that we provide oversight and then when we go on a disaster, we immediately respond. We'll get there within a day. You know, if we, if we see a typhoon heading toward the Philippines, we'll try and launch as soon as we can to be there when the typhoon passes and then start responding. One of our things that we like to do is get out in an airplane, fly over the area, do an aerial survey, and then coordinate that survey, send it to all the agencies, the government, and all the other like my agencies in the area, Samaritan's Purse, whoever else is responding, so we can best focus our efforts together where it's needed. So those are things. Here I am in Mozambique. Um, we had the twin typhoons that came through, and the first one did a lot of flooding on the mainland, and then the second one came over these islands and just wiped them clean, because they had already been de devastated before. And so I brought in my three suitcases, set up internet, in 30 minutes, and then from that internet response, I was able to coordinate all the efforts, you know, from this island and make things happen. So that's kind of the flavor of what I do. Here I am working with Missionary Flights International out of Florida, responding in the Bahamas. So again, we have over 500 different agencies that we coordinate with on a regular basis to help make the best response in these kind of situations. And that gave me an opportunity here last year to actually go to Liberia, Samaritan's Purse, is operating in Liberia, doing very similar operations as we are, and they needed a caravan pilot. And so it's like, okay, I can do this for a little bit, and got to go over to Liberia. In case you don't know, it's this little horn of Africa right here, just under um, <clears throat> Sierra Leone and in front of Ivory Coast. Um, yeah. So I got to fly from Monrovia up to the top corners, FOIA, they have the assets up there, and then down to this bottom corner, and then all along the coast here, there's airstrips that we would operate out of. But it's a lush African country, very similar to Congo in that respect, and so a lot of things look very familiar. <laughs> um, they've got farming projects where they work with the, with the uh, people to help cultivate crops and how to rotate crops and those kind of projects. They have hospital projects that they work on. So again, I'm stepping inside a, a like-minded entity and helping out doing the same things that we already know and believe in are working on. So rice you know, fields and different kind of things. 
What was neat about this was somebody couldn't stand me being in Africa alone. She said, I gotta go see this guy. <clears throat> but as you see from the picture, it's a very hot and humid climate. I'm sweating through my clothes by eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> One of the best joys is working with Joshua. This is another thread that we'll come back to. Joshua is a national Liberian who grew up in the village of Foy up there. Samaritan's Purse identified him as having some skill and some talent and a commitment to the Lord. And so they helped him get some training. He actually has his pilot's license, and now he's just trying to build time to be an aircraft commander. So as an instructor, I love taking him along. He's my continuity for, he knows the language there. I mean, the tribal languages as well as their flavor of English is a little different than Africa. I mean, yeah, he can understand the radio calls a lot better than I do. But um, it's really fun to step alongside. And when we're back in the village of Foya, he is the hero. I mean, literally, they, they celebrate when he comes in. They're giving him honey and different things from the village because this is their guy who's making it, you know, and doing something to help their community. So it's really awesome to work with him and to be part of that. Some of my other skills happened to come into play. Uh, they had found a solar system sitting in a container because no one knew how to install it. And I was like, well, I could help with that. <laughs> so we set up a solar system. Um, we did some electrical work on some houses, rewiring some stuff. Do we have any electricians in the building? Anybody? Well, if you look closely, I'll show you the picture a little closer. They've got green ground wires running to circuit breakers, and the bus bar is hot. So it was quite a shocking experience to work in this panel. <laughs> Literally. So I had to disconnect everything and rewire the house. I, like, I did three houses this last time I was there. And then, of course, this is your transformer, right? Of course, on a pole, protected, isolated. No, it's got vines growing on it and everything else. But um, another thing of my passion is technology. And if you guys have a chance to stop by and see me later, I have a VR headset. And I take that with me when I travel. <laughs> this is an opportunity on a Friday afternoon after we had cleaned up the hangar, washed the airplanes, pushed them out, and we took an opportunity to, to share that with our international guys. And, they had a lot of fun in the virtual world. But um, Marilyn did come to see me, and she wants to share a little bit. Yes, well, um, I really was eager to go back to Africa. It's still very much part of my, my heart. But also, I kind of miss John, because I was telling someone earlier that he just visits at our house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, we, we miss him. And honestly, the, probably my favorite day last year was the flight that we made together out to Foya. And it was with, John was telling about John and working with Joshua, and we went out to Foya. And so we got to, uh, I got to see what we were doing. And it wasn't just the beauty of the, the green, because it was rainy season, so lovely green. It wasn't just flying in a small airplane. It was looking out and saying, oh, wow, I love being a part of doing, you know, using aviation to reach isolated people. Um, but while we were there, John said, uh, well, Marilyn, um, well, when we got there, he, they had found out that I like to hike. So they managed to give me a chance to hike to the highest point in the village and take pictures. And that was just, that was lovely. But it, it makes such a difference um, just to know that what, what John is doing and what we're doing as a couple makes a difference. Uh, and one of the things I really love about these guys is the humor that I find in my African friends. And 
And this was right after we took pictures and they were all looking at it and giving each other grief and, and it, it was fun. Um, but while we were there, uh, John, well, I think I mentioned that uh, one of the strengths that we have together is bringing people together. And I have to say, John's the one who often invites people and he pitches in, so it's all right. Um, but he wanted together all the people he'd been working with, all the expats and have a pizza party. And so that's what we did. Um, uh, trying to find flour that didn't have weevils in it and all that, but we managed <laughs> and we made um, just a really big pizza party. So we had a, a really good time hosting there and, and now John was back there in, last month and he's gonna be again in Liberia next month. And yes, I'm planning to go see him again, so. Um, January, I got to go back to Kinshasa. We had a, um, it's been a while since I was there and they've not had an IT guy for a long, long time. And so the network had fallen into some disrepair and from headquarters, we decided to send a team. So Alex, um, or Sasha as his friends call him, is Russian. He immigrated to the US and has been a fantastic brother in Christ and working on the network together. And then Sabato um, is one of my national guys from East Congo that I worked with and trained and spent a lot of time with. And I said, this project is too big for me or even Alex. We need to have as many hands on deck as possible. So we asked Sabato to come over from the east side. And then uh, we even found our old guys there in Congo, in Kinshasa stills, Vuta and Pierre and um, Steve. Steve. And so we had a whole team that was working because the project was a huge project. Basically, we had to replace the entire wireless backbone. We have the airport on one side of the city, we have our offices downtown, and then our housing, where the satellite lives, is down in another part of the area. And all this is connected via these wireless backbones, point-to-point -point antennas. But in a city of 12 million people, where there's no copper in the ground, they pulled out the coaxes, they pulled out the phone lines for stealing the copper, there's no infrastructure other than wireless infrastructure. So the infrastructure of wireless is very congested. And so we were having lots of interference. We had basically a four meg connection between the house satellite and the office. And it's really difficult to pass your important files, especially when you're doing PDFs, you know, for documents for the government and all these kind of things. It's really hard to make it It was not very stable. When we left, after replacing all the antennas, we had over 120 meg of a stable connection. So 3,000% improvement, right? <laughs> 30 times, she'll just say it 30 times. I say 3,000%. <laughs> but basically, uh, at the office, at the hangar, we replaced um, the server and all the infrastructure there. We added solar panels, we added batteries, we added you know, solar controller and charger. That's part of our new standard that we're implementing around the world. So we brought them up to a whole new standard of, of consistency and stability. And then at the houses, we replaced antennas you know, with these new uh, dual band antennas in six gigahertz instead of five gigahertz. So we actually moved frequency spectrums a little bit to get clear. And that's how we were able to get you know, that big of an improvement. We had to actually build a new tower um, at the, whoops, wrong day, at, uh, at the hangar. And so, yeah, we got to do a lot of tower climbing. We got to hang on walls. You know, it's just all that, all that fun. And Sasha just had such a fun time because this is really first time to be in the field and to experience you know, I've been working with these guys and supporting them from here, but to be actually in the field and see what we live with and what we work with in yes. the field, he enjoyed it. So here we are raising the flag, right? You know, putting the poles <laughs> up. 
<laughs> Oops, I missed line that. But um, it was so good to get to Vuta. This is a Vuta. My pygmy, he's not quite pygmy, but he's not a pygmy by tribe, but he's from that area of Congo where there's pygmies, and so he has a little bit of short gene in him. Um, a little bit of short. A little bit short. <laughs> and, but it was so good to see him, to work with him again. And he was just, I mean, as soon as he found out I was on the ground, he came to the airport to see mm -hmm. me and to start working with me. It was just really, really That's fun cool. to get back and reunite those guys. So that is, yeah, that's part of my passion is working together with the Nationals and bringing them together and, you know, hosting and stuff. Oh, yeah. It was requested that we have a pizza party in Congo. And it was requested that I make the sauce <laughs> with Miss uh, Val Valerie here. And so we made 12 pizzas that night for a big, big um, pizza movie night uh, for all the expats there and all the families back together. And we watched Encanto from my Disney Channel Plus that I had. <laughs> so yeah, it was one of those just fellowship times of getting everybody together. And that's just one of the things we really enjoy doing. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm going to totally switch gears, and I want to tell you guys a story that you're a part of. Um, just as uh, DRBC and individuals are supporting MAF, MAF is supporting missionaries who are working in isolated villages, uh, and for people, and they're talking to people who've never heard the gospel. And have you ever wondered how you even start reaching out to a completely unreached people? It's a huge task, it really is. And so this last year, we've, been, we've had our eye on a tiny village of dim people in the steep highlands of Indonesia. And the people there are, have been living in fear. They, are, they fear certain animals, they fear spirits, they fear others for good reasons, and uh, they just live in fear. But this last year, they've heard about God's love for the first time. But what I find interesting is that it, it's not like the missionaries moved there last year. They moved there eight years ago. Four families moved there, and they started learning the language, and they started learning the culture, um, and they started translating bits of the, the Bible and asking for help from the dim people to make sure they're getting it right. Uh, so all this, they felt, was necessary because you don't want to tell the gospel and have it understood incorrectly. So the, after eight years, they decided this is its time. We understand it well enough to communicate it well. And they are also teaching them how to read and write in their own language, which, they, which they'd never had. During all this time, um, we've been, we were flying them in, we were flying supplies, we were flying sick people out, and we felt very connected to this village. Well, they decided that the way they're going to do it is they built a big meeting house. There it is, you know, open sides. Um, it's a never cold, really, there, so you, you, have, you never need the walls on the side. And they invited people to join them five days a week to hear God's talk. And it was 78 lessons from creation to Christ, and it took place over three, I mean, four months. So they started in January and finished in April. And even from the beginning, uh, they saw a difference in people. They started talking about the creation story. And in the creation story, it's taught that men and women are created in the image of God and that women are meant to be partners with men. And at this point, 
in that village, traditionally, women had a lesser value than pigs. And so they looked, the men were completely surprised, and their response was, we have been lied to by the, by the historical, you know, culture. We have been lied to. Women are valuable. And, and they started seeing small changes all along. But they were like the people in the Old Testament because they were getting the story little by little, just like the people in the Old Testament. And they started saying, so I get the feeling that someone's coming. And then they had a name for it, the Messiah's coming. And there was like an excitement building. And the day that they told them about Christ coming, they're like, oh, is he the one? Is he the one they've been waiting for? And I, I mean, I'm just struck by the way they got to walk through it like this. And then they came to the point where Jesus was killed and there was weeping and they were devastated. And they, they said, we have to wait till tomorrow. No, they didn't say that because they didn't know what was coming. They just said, this is terrible. I can't believe you told us that story, you know, kind of thing. And the next day they told him about Christ's resurrection. And then they continued to talk about the church. Well, on the day of Christ's resurrection, they talked about how you can become a follower of this Christ who has risen from the dead. And hundreds of people came to the Lord. And there were three or 400 people who were coming to this every day um, from villages all around. Um, anyway, I am, it's an amazing story. We have loved being a part of it. And so I wanted to share it with you so you could be a part of it. You may have heard some of this from Brock, but it keeps unfolding. Uh, the latest, uh, I know that we're running out of time. So I, I'm going to have to stop. But ask me about a letter from Paul that they sent to them, if we have time later. I, can, I, I thought it was 15 we're supposed to No, stop. 25. Oh, good. Okay. So um, they, after they had this four months, there was a time when all the, the missionaries were gone for vacation, and they got stuck out of the village because of COVID, some of them. And the people were sending messages uh, there were, there's a cell phone or two in the village, and they were sending messages to the missionaries and really had some deep questions. And they particularly want to know about prayer. How do we do it? How does it work? All this. And so um, one of the missionaries was in contact with MAF pilot, and they said, hey, if we send you an email with like a letter to the village, because picture it, our MAF pilots speak Indonesian, which is sort of like the the trade language, but they don't speak the dim language, which is what's spoken in that village. So this missionary wrote them a letter in dim, and they printed it out, and then they circled the village and dropped the letter, or dropped the letter off for them. And it just felt like such a great illustration of how Paul sending his missionary letters, it was the same idea, and they were very happy for it. But they, uh, the missionaries who are there are just amazed at the difference they're seeing in people because they're seeing the gospel in a, it's such a bright light in that darkness. And it's just, anyway, I just wanted to share that with you because I feel like it's been an exciting part of our work. This is also, um, there's a, a movie that MAF made mm, called The you. Ends of the Earth. And we actually, Brock has made it available to the church. We will make it available to the church if you guys want to see it. Let's pick a time, and then you guys can watch it. But it, it's really well done. I can honestly say it's a well-done video that sells this and other stories you know, of, of that similar nature. Um, I do want to end with a little bit sobering, but also mm -hmm. hope. Um, as you may have known following the early settlers, I fly a lot in Haiti, and so I've been there several times in uprisings and um, 
This latest, just a few days ago, they are taken to the streets. The people are in such pain and agony, literally, because their president was assassinated last year. The gangs are now ruling the port city uh, and blocking the roads and travel. So people, normal people cannot travel from Port-au-Prince out to the, you know, the southern arm of Haiti. Uh, this happened in Lakai on that southern arm where the group of kids saw, wait, these guys just flew in. We can't even get to Port-au-Prince. They just flew in here and so they just kind of got upset that the airplane was bridging that barrier that they couldn't bridge. And not necessarily a good way to show it, but that's what happened. And this Agape airplane was destroyed. Not our plane. Not our airplane, but this is Agape. Um, but that just kind of, it's, it's a seething boiling point right now. And so they need a lot of prayer. Um, you might have heard also about the 17 missionaries that were kidnapped by these gangs and held for ransom at $1 million a pop. Who's going to come up with a million dollars or $17 million? And then the other thing for us other missionaries that are there, it's like, oh, now this puts a price on our heads. <laughs> you know, how do we do this, God? What, what do you want to do in this situation and how to navigate it? So I would like to really quickly share the story of these missionaries and how they escaped. Basically, they were being held, and collectively, they were actually able to get together and see each other in most nights. And they said, well, we're not going to do anything crazy, but if God gives us opportunity, all of us, then we'll consider it. And one night, they really felt the sense of God's presence. They said, okay, God's saying we need to leave. And literally, they walked to the door, and it was open. And they didn't see any guards, so they kept walking. Found another door, kept walking. <laughs> Got out into the starlight, you know, and no one around. So they kept walking. <laughs> they walked for almost 12 miles before they finally found somebody someone else, right? And that person happened to have a cell phone. <laughs> I was like, can we call our people? <laughs> so they got a phone, got called, and then the, once the other person realized, wait a second, you guys gotta get out of here. This is still a gang controlled area. He helped them get some place where their people were able to meet them, and they walked out, like Paul and Silas. So God is still in control, even in the midst of a dark situation. Constant here. I was with Constant going home one day, two years ago now, and they decided to start burning tires in the street. They were protesting gas prices. And so literally, we're getting cut off. We can't get back to our place where we're trying to live. He looks out the window and says, oh, wait, I know that guy. Stop here. Get this guy in. He brings the guy into the car, and he says, oh, yeah, this is my village. I can get you out of this. Here, take a lift here. I'll talk to these people. And then they got me out of that little corner. And we get on down. We make a couple more turns. We get to another roadblock. And it's like, ah, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> I know that church. Let me call somebody. <laughs> Gets on the phone, calls somebody, he comes and meets us, and then escorts us up to this building where we're safe, you know, until dark. And uh, so then as dark falls, we can see the, the tires burning all over the city, but it starts to calm down, and the new guy that's with us says, I think I can walk you to your compound now if you want to walk. And I said, okay, if you, we're trusting our lives in your hands. And he said, nope, I've got you. And literally, we walked through three more roadblocks from that place up to our house, and people were like, who are these white guys? Why are you with these white guys? And he would just answer them very quickly and isolate, you know, very quickly. And then we would just kind of walk by the, some of the fires. And so God walked us home, you know, because of our national staff and the relationships that we have with these people. And then the last thing I'm going to share with you is one morning going to work, tense situation. It was just a, 
very bad traffic morning. Uh, I was kind of feeling running late and feeling anxious because I had to get for a flight. Um, and Constant was with us, and he could sense the tension. And he says, "Here, just." And he started his phone and he started some music. And so he played the song that hopefully we're going to sing with you guys here in a minute. And it just totally changed that whole atmosphere in the car. It changed my heart. It's still my heart. And it's like, this is a, where, I've never heard the song. Where did you get this group? You know, and so he introduced it to me, and I brought it back and introduced it to my church. And then while I've been in Liberia, I introduced it to my people over there, and they've enjoyed it. So if I can get our worship team to come back up here, I really would like to introduce it to you guys, and we can enjoy it together. Because God has hope. In the darkest situations, that's not us. We're his hands, his feet. We're the light that's carrying his light of gospel to these dark witnesses. And so that's what I want to leave you guys with, that Christ is still at work, even in the darkness, and we get to be part of that. Mm -hmm.